This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, the high cost of bigotry. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review critique show where we're putting the humanities back into science fiction. My name is Gep, and I am joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Dr. Izix. Hi! And this week, we watched probably the most iconic episode of original Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Like, at least for the aliens involved. This is like the one. Yes. If you say original Star Trek aliens, this is the alien that pops into your head. Oh, either that or the Gorn. It's one of those two. Yes. <laughs> this is the other one. The, the other al- weird alien. What if I said original Star Trek alien and racism? Dun, dun, dun. Then, yeah, you'd be 100% correct. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so this is Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. Well, hopefully it is, because uh, fighting kind of sucks. Yeah, this is a very weird title, but sure. <laughs> kind of fitting, though, in a way. Based on a story by Gene L. Kuhn, who was again writing under his pen name for season three, but the actual screenplay was written by Oliver Crawford, who has a somewhat interesting career where he was blacklisted in the McCarthy era for not wanting to throw a bunch of his friends under the bus as communist sympathizers. Uh, he then later came back to Hollywood, wrote on every TV show that you remember from the 60s, and later became the chair of the Writers Guild Association of America, and even removed a lot of McCarthy-era, like, anti-communist loyalty pledges from the Writers Guild of America. Oh, damn, that's kind of awesome. Yeah. There was so much nonsense there. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm done with this. You guys are too. <laughs> I also thought it was interesting. He wrote a uh, book in 19... 19- 78 he wrote a novel called the execution which according to one uh, review i found was described as a sewery exploitive stew i'm not sure if that's good or bad <laughs> it's pretty bad i don't want to go into any details because it's very very bad very 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 bad and i mention it because there's some like also like not amazing parts it's of this yeah. this episode yes We'll get into the best they pop up, yes. (laughs) So we have uh, two guest stars this week. First Mm -hmm. is Lou Antonio playing Lokai. Lokai, which I spelled Loki a few times in my notes. So if I get confused, that's what's up. He is best known for movie roles in uh, Cool Hand Luke and America, America, the best American film of the year. America, America. I just loved that poster. It's like, America, America, the best America film. Uh, I believe Lou uh, here went off to uh, be a director in in time. Yes, he did direction. He was also on a lot of similar era TV shows, like The Flying Nun, The Virginian, which we've heard of before. Something called The Wackiest Ship in the Army. Oh, dear. (laughs) Well, there was a sort of collection of, uh, you know, military themed humor show- shows, like, basically after World War II until like the 80s or something. Like yeah, that. Hogan's Heroes yeah. and you know, uh, Hogan's Heroes, F Troop. Um, you know, Desert uh, Rats. What was that with the Jeeps? Maybe. There's also uh, from uh, the UK side of things, uh, Dad's Army, which I enjoyed. <laughs> uh, it was basically the, uh, the 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 older folks that you know, it's like we want to help with the war. It's like, well, you're kind of old, so we'll we'll set you up to just guard England while the rest of us 
go overseas. <laughs> Our other guest star is Frank Gorshin, who played Commissioner Beale. Um, wait a moment. Does, does he know Allie? Mick? <laughs> Probably not, actually. But uh, yeah, he, he played, uh, yeah, most famously, the uh, the Riddler, correct? Yes, he was the Riddler in the 1960s era Batman. Uh, he was primarily known as a stand-up comedian and impressionist who did a lot of talk show circuits during the 60s. Uh, and in fact, uh, the bunch of his uh, you know, credits here is for the Ed Sullivan Show. So yes, he was also on The Virginian. <laughs> Everyone was on Virginian, apparently. <laughs> but yes, also The Riddler... Also, this is our second 60s-era Batman actor in two episodes. I'm seeing a trend here. Are, are, we, are we going to get, get everyone here? or is this... I hope so. Oh, my God. What if like we just didn't know that Adam West shows up in one of these episodes? Yes. That would be amazing. I doubt it. But wouldn't that just be the best thing to learn? Be fantastic. It's like, wait a, wait a moment. Even if he's just like in the background, that'd be great. I feel like I would have 100% heard of it, but... It's like, yeah, there's Adam West in the background there. Holy smokes, it's true. Wait a minute, that yeoman in the skirt, it's Adam West. <laughs> Adam West. Oh, 60s Batman is pretty pretty much a hoot. Yeah, it is. Okay, this what I don't know what to make of this one. It's like very badly done, so it might not take that long, but I feel like the actual politics of it are going to take forever. Oh, yeah, pretty much. So, uh, should I start with the captain's log? Go ahead. Captain's log. Ariana's got attacked by bacteria. We shall decontaminate, decontaminate, decontaminate! So the Enterprise is en route to some planet called Ariana's that has a bacterial infection that they need to decontaminate from orbit. It's a pretty neat trick if you can pull it off. I know, I didn't, that's, it's weird. They can, like, they're basically, I don't know, crop dusting from space. Yes. Which honestly seems a little far-fetched, but yeah, this is maybe a minor quibble about the episode. Yep, one of we'll many. Just, we'll just roll with it. On the way, they detect a Federation shuttlecraft. In fact, the same shuttlecraft that was reported stolen from Starbase 4 a matter of weeks ago. So somebody is, uh, yeah, is good, enjoying their Grand Theft shuttlecraft. And has finally ran out of gas. Yes, the shuttle is flying erratically with one humanoid aboard who seems badly injured. Kirk orders it to be tractored into the shuttle bay once on board. A man stumbles out and falls, revealing him to be bifurcated, half black and half white, which the episode thinks is just the coolest thing. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, he like he falls down and all you can see is like the black side of his face. And then he turns over so you can see that he also has a white side of his face. It was doo -doo, and then cuts to commercial. Guys, look at this. Like, well, this is totally shocking because reasons. Well, I, I will say I am a little surprised it wasn't any of the cast of any of the Grand Theft Auto sh uh, games. So, you know, I, I guess I guess that fits for the game. It's like, well, this, this is not what we expected, guys. <laughs> so in Sick Bay, the crew speculate on how a being with two colored skin could have possibly evolved anywhere ever. It is baffling to them. Well, it is a little weird because I, I guess what's the evolutionary advantage for that other than, you know, like maybe attracting mates? Yeah, maybe? something like that is almost 100% just sexually selected. Any anytime you see something weird that may even like detract from a creature's survivability, it is sexually selected. Like that, it's pretty easy. So somebody found this attractive, you know, in the you know thousands upon thousands of years ago, and then suddenly that's what you got. Yeah, <laughs> not not difficult. 
<laughs> anyway, McCoy decides this guy must be some random freak mutation or something. Well, um, I guess maybe it started that way. And then someone thought it was cool and, you know, and the rest of that, of course. But McCoy, you should know better about evolution or something like that. All evolution is random mutation. Yes. <laughs> It's like it's, it's kind of how it kicks off, kicks off variances, and um, and that's just and then they just kind of roll with it. It works. The man wakes up and introduces himself as Loki of Sharon. Sharon. Kirk is immediately hostile, lambasting him for having stolen a shuttlecraft. But Loki is understandably upset at this because he's insistent that he didn't, in fact, steal the shuttle. He was just using the shuttle, which he draws a definite distinction between. Kirk really doesn't care how he got it, if he stole it, if he found it, if someone gave it to him or what. He just does not care. He's still stolen property, guy. So did you take it from the starbase? Did you fly it all the way here? Or did you just stumble across it and run off with it from somebody else who stole it? No, it doesn't matter. Maybe he's, give us he's near any, it. Uh, <laughs> he's near something that was stolen. And thus, you are op- automatically suspect. This will become important later. Yes. <laughs> then Kirk suddenly goes like, but you know what? We're explorers. Let's learn about your people. And Lokai, who's just finished being yelled at by Kirk for being near stolen property, is like, I don't necessarily want to talk to you about my people. And Kirk goes, you're fine. Be evasive. <laughs> It's like, well, you guys seem to be interested in abusing me, so maybe screw you guys. I'm going to be shutting up now. Yep. Kirk is then called away because Chekhov has discovered another ship. Was this an epic vessel traveling you know, at a warp of 50,000 coming straight towards them? That's going to be a terror and, and hover in front of the screen for, for minutes on end, blinking lights and everything? It does exactly that, except that it's also invisible. Oh, okay. I guess it's cheaper that way. Yeah, they don't see it, but it's definitely there, and it is definitely on a collision course. Yeah, this is just such a, a, a obvious, we ran out of money sort of move here, but okay. And they do the same thing, I guess because they didn't know whether they'd have a model, maybe, but they do the same sort of thing where they just, like, stare at the screen and go, we can't get around it, but, like, there's just nothing on the screen. Yes. <laughs> maybe they're waiting for, like, a distortion effect, or maybe just a, a big flash or something like that, I don't know. <laughs> so the ship collides with the Enterprise, and nothing happens. Oh, well... I guess that was a whole lot of nothing. Um, Sensor ghost, maybe? Wait, it's the Romulans hiding out there again? So the ship disappears, but then suddenly there's another black and white man on the bridge. This must be... Beale. And then then Kirk turns to McCoy and goes, Mutation, huh? Um, yes, Captain. <laughs> uh, obviously, the, 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 he had a twin brother. Yeah. <laughs> As this is Beale, who is a space cop from Sharon. Well, it's about time the cops showed up. We got this uh, stolen shuttlecraft business. Oh, wait, you're not a Federation. He apparently pushed his ship that is super special and high tech and also inv- has invisible paint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It disintegrates properly. They didn't have to make a model. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and this is kind of amazing. It's like, yeah, and the ship just sort of disintegrated and there's nothing left. And don't even try to look for parts of it where it's not going to matter. Yeah, they, they even just hand waves like this ship was cool. Yes, it had a special coating that made it invisible. <laughs> Behold my invisible ship. Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. (laughs) Anyway, he has been pursuing Loki, as it turns out later, for thousands of years. I didn't have a good way to work that into the script. But like, you know, later on, it's like 50,000 years or some odd. I guess they're really old, too. So, all right, this guy's pretty weird. (laughs) He claims Loki in the name of whatever law he's supposedly enforcing but Kirk's in charge, and he says so. Okay, well, this is Kirk's jurisdiction, this Federation ship. 
you don't really have command here, but uh, maybe you can sort of start looking into an extradition situation, maybe. Then Beale goes, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be giving orders, and goes, ha ha ha, someone respecting my authority. Oh, it feels so good. So nice. Mm. Yes. Tell me I'm in charge again. You think I'm? You think we're overstating it, but... <laughs> well, I guess over the course of this episode, Kirk being super happy about this uh, at this point is kind of him sort of knowing what's going to be happy later in the episode <laughs> and being really happy that he has least control now. <laughs> they bring Beale to sickbay so that he can confront Lokai. Lokai immediately starts yelling about how this guy's a murderer who oppresses his people. And, you know, his people were enslaved and then later oppressed by Beale's people. And Beale goes, no, we were compassionate and we cared for you hopeless people and took you into our hearts as slaves. I don't know. I think that enough is probably good enough reason to point out that Beale's side is probably full of crap. Probably. But apparently yeah. Lokai <laughs> is a revolutionary leader who has been, you know, sending the out propaganda or some junk he, he's he's against this whole slavery and oppression thing thus is also bad apparently he also requests asylum because the space cops just showed up maybe you should have like tried this earlier because you know you were under pursuit and stuff and yeah but kirk doesn't care about the space cops the slavery the oppression or the asylum everyone's just being rude and he wants them all to shut up you guys are getting annoying just just stop being annoying, man. He wants to get on with his mission, but then, of course, the ship starts to go off somewhere all by itself because nothing can be easy for Kirk here. All right, so are we stuck in a tractor beam, a wormhole, some sort of super powerful, uh, you know, brain fungus on the, the hull now? Uh, what's up? Well, apparently the ship has changed course to take them to Sharon, and Beale comes to the bridge and goes, yeah, it was me. I got mental powers. Do something about it. Okay, you have mental powers now. Well, that's new. And there's, like, nothing they can do because he's just too good, basically. Lokai enters and goes, see, he's kind of forcibly taking control of your ship. Maybe this is evidence that you should be on my side and get rid of him. Kirk goes, you two are equally wrong. <sighs> Kirk, Kirk, Kirk. Um, you SOB here. Um, someone just has both given you evidence and reason not to trust them, and the other person has pointed out why you should not trust them based on that same evidence. You don't get to say you're both untrustworthy and terrible. Yeah, he literally says, you're two of a kind. When Lokai comes in and says, see what he's doing, you should kill him now before it gets worse. Which, oh. like, I'll admit, just going, we should kill him now before he, do he gets worse is a somewhat extreme position. But it's yeah. certainly like, you don't have to go, oh, we should listen to him and kill him. But maybe like, yeah, you're kind of right. We should deal with this guy. Yeah, we should like mm -hmm. maybe get him to give up control of the ship. Maybe knock him out. Maybe throw him in that shuttlecraft you ran off with. I just sort of leave him here. Yeah. And then so let someone else deal with this. Kirk orders both of them be shot. But they both have some sort of personal force field that renders their weapons useless anyway. Well, that's a new power. Okay, what else do they got? <laughs> Kirk demands that Beale give back control of the ship, and when he refuses, Kirk threatens to set the self-destruct rather than let Beale take the ship. Beale thinks Kirk is bluffing, so Kirk, Spock, and Scotty all begin the arduously long task of setting the self-destruct. 1A, 2B, 
commit. Yeah, each of them has to give a security code. The computer has to process the code, confirm the code, then ask for the next code. I timed this out, and it takes five minutes of episode runtime for them to finish this process, which is not exactly intimidating. Nope. It is drawing out the drama, but it draws it so much that it's basically falling apart under its own weight. Also, whoever was doing the cinematography and direction for this episode had heard of interesting camera shots mm-hmm. and didn't know what to do with them because they keep zooming in on people's lips when they say the code. Dramatic. Also, there the are action. three times Words. when they set red alert and the camera zooms in and out of the red alert light. <laughs> it's like, okay, now I'm getting dizzy. All right. <laughs> We've never had Red Alert before on this show, guys, so obviously we have to do something special for it, right? Yeah, so anyway, everything in this episode is just baffling. (laughs) Yes. So just before the ship blows up, Bill gives in and Kirk turns off the self-destruct. This also takes about two minutes, but I guess it doesn't matter. It's like, yeah, so we're in the the final, like, few seconds of the self-destruct, but we're going to put the countdown on hold while we go through the whole process to undo this. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Somehow, it just kind of works. Kirk gets to finally go to Anaris to cure their infection thing. And he says that both of them should go about the ship and get to know humanity and such like, since they aren't trying to take over anymore. Sure. Maybe get get to know people, you know, and interact. And maybe, I don't know, just chill until you take you back to the starbase so we get all the stuff sorted out there. So later on in the rec room, a bunch of the crew are hanging out with Lokai, who's explaining that he must have come off very badly to them because when, you know, Beale's around, he gets very angry because this guy is the literal representation of all of the years of hatred and oppression that have, you know, happened to him and his people. So he must seem kind of unhinged and upset when when Beale's around, and that may make him seem like he's just reacting too strongly. But here, let me explain all of these horrible things that have happened calmly and lay it out for you. And maybe you guys can't fully understand because you've gotten rid of oppression on your planet. So so here are the reasons why I have this strong emotional reaction to whenever this guy's nearby. And it kind of makes sense. So here it is. <laughs> and we even see Spock pauses outside and listens to Loki's speech. You know, maybe Spock's going to have some uh, massive insight about the situation and uh, has to go in and convince Kirk to uh, make a decision to, uh, you know, basically uh, toss Bale all overboard and uh, take Low Guy somewhere safe. Yeah. And you know what? This is a very, very good point that I feel like isn't made very often. That often when you are directly confronting someone who is espousing ideals and beliefs that are literally killing, like, people that you care about. Mm-hmm. you're going to come off as very, very angry and upset, and maybe that makes you look a little irrational to the people around who are just observing this. Yeah, you know, there, a lot of folks have a inherent sort of uh, visceral reaction to people that are upset. And so when you got the one person who was smiling and giving a thumbs up and saying the most, you know, pre- preaching the most awful things, and the other person who was like, no, that's awful, you're going to get us all killed, you know, screw you, guy. It's just human reaction to react poorly to the second person, even though the content of what the first person is saying is actually just that ridiculous and awful. Yeah, so it's actually a really good point. Let's see what they do with it later on, shall we? Okay, let's find out where this goes. <laughs> so in the captain's mess, they've invited Beale to dinner. I guess Lucky doesn't merit a dinner invitation. 
So um, I guess we can, you know, Kirk's okay with cops and no one else. <laughs> They're waiting to hear back from Starfleet on to whether Beale will be able to just take Lokai back with him after their mission is complete, or if they want to take him back to Starbase 4 to deal with the whole shuttlecraft thing. Yeah, because there's some convoluted, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, jurisdiction sort of things here. And if Lokai did, in fact, steal the shuttle, the Federation might want to talk to him at least first. Yeah, and they mentioned several times that the Federation and Sharon have no official political interaction. There's no extradition treaty. They basically vaguely know that the other exists, and that's about it. Yeah, I haven't talked to each other in ages, but, you know, there's the one planet out there, the Federation's over here, it's pretty far away, you know, whatever. So Starfleet's communication arrives, and they regret to inform them that both Lokai and Vale will be taken to Starbase 4 when all this is over. Vale is incensed and claims that Starfleet has now allied itself with Lokai and his inferior breeds. Okay, so putting that last bit of comment aside, sir... Um, what the hell? <laughs> so Spock points out that they are, in fact, the same species. Yeah. And he goes, you must be blind. And then he looks around. It's like, I am black on the right side. And Loki is white on the right side. And that's the entirety of the difference between them. Yep. You know, you know at least physiologically, you know, different personalities, motivation. This is the part of the episode everyone reviewed as heavy-handed and obvious. Oh, Yeah. I, I, I do occasionally on the show say that sometimes drawing a big circle about what's going on is totally okay. So <laughs> I can sort of get behind this very obvious sort of, hey, look, this, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Sort of thing. Um, but there's, there's a lot of other problems with the episode still. Yeah, so. I mean, this is fine. This is the This is the science fiction equivalent of drawing the big red circle on your YouTube thumbnail, which can Here be fine. Here is the point. <laughs> yes. They just didn't do do it at all. We'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> so Spock suggests that they should all just stop hating each other like how Vulcans did, because they were having trouble like this before, and they were just like, you know what? It's emotions that are the problem. So we got rid of those, and suddenly we're not going to murder each other anymore or have oppression. Neat. Beale doesn't think this will work, because, you know, why do you think people like Loki could be reasoned with? All right. I, I understand you have some horrible biases against Loki and his people. That don't make any damn sense. But, but, could, could you maybe give them a chance? Something? So now we've heard from both sides, and that seems to be about it. The ship reaches Anaris, completes its decontamination thingy, which takes way too long, and heads back mm -hmm. for Starbase 4. But on course, Vile shows up, zaps the navigation system, zaps the de self destruct detonator thingy, takes control of the ship, and heads off to Sharon with now absolutely nothing they can actually do about it. So they have a pow power to control the ship, personal force fields, as now telekinetic powers that melt computers. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're keeping a list of their powers that are just kind of out of nowhere. Uh, I, I will also like to point out that uh, I, I believe either this bit or the the previous time took over the ship, they suddenly went over uh, warp 10. So obviously everyone's going to turn to salamanders later. Yes. And this just yes. happens. They've gone over warp 10 <laughs> lots of times on this show. Just, you know, it's always kind of fun find them using. Everyone's you know, salamanders. Yes. They also have <laughs> standard warp 13 in the at the end of... Uh, next generation when they have the future episodes well, maybe it's like trans warp you know everything over 10 they count as that or something i don't know <laughs> they made all that up with voyager later yeah <laughs> no there is a hard limit 
That's what we're going to go with for now. So Lokai shows up on the bridge again, pointing out that Beale is doing something terrible, and maybe they should deal with him, even possibly resorting to physical violence. Yes. And they go, oh my god, how could you? You're upset again, and apparently that's worse than the guy who's taking over the ship. So Beale and Lokai start to actually physically fight each other, which is bumping force fields and they're throwing off energy everywhere. And apparently that starts threatening the ship. So Kirk points out that they'll both just die uselessly in space. Like Beale won't get to take back his prisoner and Lokai won't be able to inspire his rebellion. So, you know. Maybe, I don't know, don't don't destroy us, please, yeah. Yeah, they say that Beale is, is too obsessed with, like, catching people and is angry, but also Lokai is wrong because he's, like, inspiring a rebellion, but he hasn't died in it yet. Maybe there, he had a lot of companions that inspired him originally, and they're now all dead. Ever think about that, Kirk? So they have now made it to Sharon after all of this, and they put it on the view screen, and it's destroyed. Oh, Tomb World. Uh, I can colonize that. Yeah, you you knew where this was going. Yeah. <laughs> While Bile was busy chasing Lokai, the conflict between their two peoples resulted in a war that killed everyone on the planet. Absolutely everyone. The bodies are still there, apparently. Yep. So it must have happened, like, in the last year or so. Maybe. Maybe sooner. Thanks, but yeah, maybe just, like, earlier that day. So Lokai runs off. And Bill chases him, and they both run to the transporter and beam down to the dead world, and Uhura and Sulu go, But that doesn't make any sense! All their people are dead! Why are they continuing this? And Kirk goes, Well, people with extreme viewpoints, you know. Too unreasonable to, uh, you know, join a federation of plants and chill, man. And at the end of the day, they were left with nothing but their hatred for each other. Ugh, man. That was painful. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah. Uh, also, I do want to mention that there is uh, some uh, some uh, dramatic footage as they're running through the ship and getting on the transporter and and having visions of burning buildings and they're sort of flailing around like they're exhausted. And it's all very dramatic and it's like, <sighs> yeah, this is just so it's so bad. Like the it looks like they're slowly jogging down a hallway and go, uh, uh, my arms are tired and floppy. But I can't run faster than the camera can move backward as the 60s and the camera weighs 100 pounds. Yes, I have to struggle to run slower. Alright, so there's a lot of stuff wrong with this episode. Well, I feel like the most relevant one, and something that we hear talked about a lot, is something called false equivalency. So what is false equivalency? So it's also called informally the balance fallacy it's not a traditional like uh, logical fallacy per se but it is basically one that can be used so the balance or false equivalency fallacy is that if there is a problem with two opposing viewpoints they are always equal and the answer is always in the middle mm -hmm. this is often kind of a sort of inverse of what's called the false dilemma, which is when you say there are only two extremes instead of there being a middle. This is, we need to discount both extremes and something in the middle will be true, uh, which is kind of... That doesn't follow. You're just discounting both sides. You're saying that each of the extremes is wrong 
when you actually have no particular evidence that one is completely wrong, or you actually have evidence that one is wrong and one is correct. And it's basically an attempt to discourage disagreement, that via this, this uh, fallacy, we can establish that there is always going to be the centralized correct answer, even if the two sides are completely mismatched in what they're all about. Yeah, what it basically comes down to is that having an extreme viewpoint is the problem, regardless of what that viewpoint is. And so you get situations like, yeah, let's, yeah, the, the, you know, side A is like, yeah, let's murder everybody that, you know, that, that is like this. Side B is like, let's not murder anyone. And the centralized, uh, uh, you know, opinion here, you know, based on the false equivalence is, uh, let's maybe only murder half of everybody. Yeah, let's just murder some people. Yes, <laughs> which is still horrific. You get this false compromise idea. It is a way to kind of, it, like, it normalizes, like, hard, harmful viewpoints because you say, well, there has to be a compromise and both sides have to give up something, so let's murder some of the people. There was a saying I came across while I was researching this, uh, that half a kitten is not half as cute. Yeah. I'm going to have to use that at some point. I mean, like not in like a graphic fashion. <laughs> when, when I'm running to someone who's being awful about this sort of thing. So it it's used a lot now. Like, it's it's more relevant to this episode than some of the other ideas because i was researching some other things that it kind of hints at like respectability politics which we could talk about but the the episode itself falls into the false equivalency idea more because this is something that often happens with media outlets and it's something that we often like criticize large newspapers and journalistic endeavors for because they often have to present both sides equally to avoid the appearance of bias because you're not supposed to editorialize or take sides when you're reporting news stories so you get uh, one politician saying it's like oh yes uh, you maybe if we drink bleach we'll be able to uh, combat the virus and everyone else saying that's idiotic don't drink bleach but they re report on both of these because these are the two sides that are being presented and you know it's like oh, if we have if we make uh, you know a decision on our you know, reporting side of thing to say that one of these is actually correct, then yeah, that, that'll, we could get slammed for being too partisan or too biased or too uh, favoring certain people over the others. And then you don't have any sort of weight to any of these two, two different options. And that could potentially lead to people sort of taking ones like, well, that means I could choose, right? I could choose which one of these to believe more more actively because there isn't anyone here giving a more solid clear this is more you know the correct answer versus the other one this is demonstrated in this episode because kirk is supposed to be this external person uh, often this is someone in a power position kirk is shown to not exactly be in a power position in this situation even though because it's his show, he's always in the power position no matter what. Mm -hmm. So he is an external observer who is supposed to be neutral to both sides of this argument in a power position who gets to decide that both of these extreme viewpoints are wrong and they just need to stop hating each other. Just hug it out, man. Then everything, then all the problems, all those centuries of oppression, they'll just sort of evaporate, you know? Which is something that you get a lot of, especially when we're talking about race politics in the United States. Because you have like, yes, it 
is wrong that you are oppressing this group and you should maybe stop advocating the oppression of this group. But it's also wrong that you, the oppressed group, are still bothered by the fact that this person's oppressing you. No, I think they're quite right that they should be bothered that people are oppressing them still. And, you know, make a noise about it. Yeah, that's that's that should be a thing and that should be normalized, accepted. Because when people are being forced to suffer, you know, they have a right to say, hey, Let's cut this crap out. But this is an argument that they actually made in the episode that say, mm-hmm. you know, slavery ended hundreds of years ago, so they say. So you should stop being bothered by it. We also established these guys are like 50,000 years old. So Lokai was probably a slave at some point, given that for yeah, starters. Yeah, you can't so do it with that kind of lifespan thing. Yeah. <laughs> but even if without that, yeah, you know, the there is going to be legacy problems of the oppression there that are going to be left over. You don't just suddenly wave a magic wand and suddenly everyone you know has you know is you know equal rights all all across the board. Um, and it's it's kind of ridiculous that 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 was sort of you know being argued here in this episode. Yeah. So the the weird thing with this, especially this episode, because they're showing one side as unquestionably wrong Mm -hmm. like this guy is basically a space nazi he's advocating racial purity he's Mm -hmm. thinks that the people with the other black white divide are like an inferior breed of his own species he thinks slavery is like the best thing for them he is the worst person and in addition yes. to advocating all of these definitely wrong viewpoints that we should be able to easily identify as negative, he also attacks and takes over the ship. Mm-hmm. So basically he's drawn attention to himself that he is basically the worst sort of person and you should be actively opposing this person, Captain Kirk, because he is not only an awful person in what he's trying to do, what he's trying, you know, what he has done in the past, but he's also messing with your ship. But the other side was near stolen property because there's even a scene at dinner where they say that they can't agree that he was, that Lokai is a criminal. They can just agree that he was in possession of a stolen shuttlecraft. Yeah, it was a little late, Kirk, but yeah. <laughs> so he was near stolen property and he came off as somewhat rude. And thus, they are exactly as terrible as the person that would be okay with their death. Yeah, the the only thing that they really call out that Lokai does is he comes in and says, you should kill him, he's taking over your ship. Which admittedly is a slightly more extreme reaction than they would have, but only because they routinely have non-lethal means of incapacitating someone in a modern like it imagine this being a modern military scenario they would 100% just shoot the guy who's taking over the ship yep so yeah this is a little bit before tasers were very well known so the only reason that saying you should kill the guy who's putting your entire ship and crew in danger is seen as extreme is because they have a non-lethal alternative that in fact lokai may or may not have known exactly yeah, it's like, you guys seem to have guns everywhere. These are obviously weapons of war, weapons to, to kill people. So go ahead and use them, because obviously you're going to need that, given what's going on. So why are you not doing this? Come on, guys, this is obvious. 
And you get into the thing, like, you two are both wrong. I'm going to politely ask him to stop, which, fine, he politely asked him to stop, and then he didn't. And then you wound up having to try to shoot him anyway. But you yes. tried to shoot both of them because, I mean, Lokai's over there so yelling. He's too annoying to not be stunned, so stun them both. We'll sort out the bodies later. Which gets into the same idea that um, Beale, as the establishment, he is literally working for his government, uh, supposedly. Mm-hmm. We have no actual evidence for this. He calls himself a commissioner and says that he's affiliated with a law-keeping organization. So he is the establishment person. Mm-hmm. He could be making that up. Uh, he gets to have credibility regardless of what he does because he is an establishment person. Lokai has lost all credibility irrevocably because he was near stolen power. He was like associated with a crime. He just He didn't even necessarily commit one. Yeah, there's you know, you know evidence uh, there, but it does not say that he was there when the shuttle was stolen. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it could have been he ran into whoever it, you know, had stolen it, and they gave him the shuttle. It's like, oh yeah, you could have the shuttle. I, I'm leaving here. <laughs> have fun. Yeah, he just he's even says that he didn't steal the shuttle, and even if he did, he's fleeing someone who's actively trying to kill him. So there might be extenuating circumstances to motivate uh, you know, appropriations. But the entire episode is both sides are just wrong. And this is, you know, this is this episode came out in 60 in uh, 69, mm-hmm. uh, which means we are well into the civil rights movement. Indeed. In fact, uh, you know, there were some, some assassinations of, uh, you know, some, some major figures before this point, right? Yeah, which calling out Lokaya's wrong for trying to improve his people's situation as a revolutionary because he has not yet been assassinated. Yeah. Pretty tasteless given the timing of this episode. Exactly. It's like you can only be a true civil rights uh, pioneer if you end up dead. That's ridiculous. You you should not need to martyr yourself in order for your cause to be seen as just. And you shouldn't be calling for revolution because you're just... That's just blanket wrong. No matter how screwed up the system is, you shouldn't be calling to upend it. You should be asking for small incremental changes or possibly compromising and saying, well, maybe only some of us should be slaves then. <sighs> so, yeah. Which is, in fact, what happened in uh, you know, several different eras of uh, false equivalency things. The Missouri Compromise in the United States, the Compromise of 1850 trying to reach mm-hmm. a middle ground between pro-slavery and abolitionist politics. Yeah, well, we'll sort of keep the power balanced here, guys, and uh, hopefully we can sustain this forever because make-believe. So I could just go on and on with this. I do feel like it's worth pointing out. So the I've I mentioned it before, the difference between this false equivalency thing where Kirk is saying that both of them are the same despite their arguments and the uh, respectability politics, which this also touches on a little bit, uh, respectability politics being that mm-hmm. you, in order to be taken seriously or be worthy, basically, of rights and full citizenship and all the rest, you need to maintain a certain respectability. Don't act out. Don't be upset. Act the same way as everyone else. Basically, elevate yourself so that mm-hmm. you no longer appear to be poor or a minority. Just like act like the majority group wants you to, 
and then you will be able to pull yourself out of your horrible situation. Uh, the main difference here is that respectability politics is a self-enforced system. Uh, it's people within the minority group usually enforcing this idea on other members of the minority group who are in a worse position. It's like, oh, you're not, you know, obviously the reason that you're suffering is not because the system's bad, but because you are not emulating the people that are pressing you enough. Yeah, the whole idea is, um, I was reading an article in this that kind of had an interesting link, an article by uh, Frederick C. Harris, who is the professor of political science and the director of Center of African-American Politics and Society at Columbia University. So I think he probably knows a little bit more about this than I do. He basically is arguing that the uh, basic argument of respectability politics is if you act in such a way that you are more appealing to enter the job market and workplace than you can have the same economic opportunities for improvement as someone who is not in the oppressed minority group and therefore you will all sort of lift yourselves out of this minority oppression position. It kind of leaves out the whole other people having uh, input on your fate in these sort of situations. Some people, you know, might be like, oh yes, I will uh, endorse this sort of view of the world and respond as this guy sort of, you know, lays out. But, you know, there's other people that are going to be like, no, I still think you're awful because I'm a racist bigot. And so they will still keep trying to keep you under their boot. Yeah, but the entire the idea behind it and the reason that it is sort of self-enforced inside of minority groups is the basic idea of like I, as someone who have been able to elevate my position somewhat through some means in following the rules, I am dressing correctly and acting correctly and entering the marketplace and following the rules laid out by the majority groups in the society. And you, who are not, are the reason that I am treated badly because you are perpetuating the stereotypes that people are foisting upon me. It becomes sort of self-destructive inside a community when, you know, with that sort of dynamic. Um, and kind of sucks, yeah. But as I said, this one, since there's only two, since the only groups we see here are one oppressive group and one oppressed group, and the decision maker gets to be Kirk, who decides that both extreme viewpoints are equally bad, it's not a self-enforced yeah. within the minority group system. Yeah, you know, unless Kirk is somehow trying to place himself in the role of the minority group here, and that just David worse. But it gets a like the reason that it kind of parallels the respectability is because Kirk is able to just immediately discount any argument that Lokai has because he was too close to a stolen object and came off as somewhat angry. Oh, did you know Lokai also smoked pot once? <gasps> yeah, it is that kind of, you know. He was standing next to a car that was later stolen. Therefore, he is a criminal, and we don't have to listen to him. Yeah, we can. Yeah, and if he happens to get shot in the back while he's trying not to be shot in the back, then that's his fault in that case, right? Well, he shouldn't have been threatening people while running away. I've read a few articles, sort of, on this stuff recently. I'm just like, I'm so tired of this happening over and over again. Yeah, yeah. That's basically where I'm at. I want to turn to a little bit something a little more historical. Sure. All right. 
uh, watch this episode and, you know, this, this sort of false equivalence you know, nonsense here got me thinking about Abraham Lincoln. Mm. Abraham Lincoln. So Abraham Lincoln was president during the Civil War, uh, Civil War, uh, you know, except for the very beginning of it. And, uh, you know, he's often credited as, you know, being the guy that, you know, freed the slaves, Emancipation Proclamation, uh, all that sort of stuff. In, in, in more detail, though, he was actually more of the moderate uh, position as far as uh, the, the, the liberation of the, of the slaves was, was concerned. Uh, you know, he was, you know, in part behind, you know, some ideas like, oh, yeah, they should set up a colony in Central America or something like that once all the Civil War business is done with. And, well, the, the people, the freedmen were kind of like, no, we kind of like it here in the U.S. We don't want to leave. Everyone we know is here. Uh, so that wasn't much of a, uh, you know, a, a starter there. And sort of working in the you know, period between, you know, the end of the war and you know, assassination, uh, you know, you, there was sort of putting in place a reconstruction program to try to reintegrate the southern states back into the country. Uh, and this whole entire process and the you know, time period it's, uh, it takes place in is often called the Reconstruction Era. And it's you know, it sort of had several different sort of ways it went forward in different times. Because, uh, you know, as I said, you know, Lincoln was more of this sort of modern. It's like, oh, yeah, we'll sort of be cool with them. They're not going to be slaves anymore, but... They're maybe not going to be totally on equal footing as the white folks at this point. And then he got himself uh, assassinated. And Andrew Johnson, who was basically, screw that noise, let's like just kind of ignore the problem and just bring every, you know, the southern states back in without uh, changing anything up. Uh, and so then the, the folks in the north were like, mm, I don't think so. So the, uh, the next uh, congressional election. Uh, the radical Republicans got a, uh, a a firm majority of the situation and started putting through things uh, like constitutional amendments to guarantee the right to vote and citizenship and all that sort of stuff. And and by you know and putting in contingencies like yeah you can come back into the into the union but you need to have these sort of uh, check boxes sort of uh, marked off like you know your state constitution has to be rewritten and ban slavery for instance. Uh, you have to you know, approve of the, uh, these amendments we're trying to get through all that sort of stuff. Uh, and, you know, and so Andrew Johnson's like, well, I'm just going to veto stuff. But the you know, people in Congress are like, no. Also, the, the South keeps trying to send representatives up here to Congress and we're just not sitting them, seating them because they were actually just Confederate officers. And, yeah, the, the, their elections aren't legitimate at all. Um, and so you have these sort of three different lanes of former slaveholders slash uh, folks that fought, uh, fought for the Confederacy, you know, basically wanting to return to how things were before the Civil War. You know, maybe not bring back slavery, but if you could, that'd be great. Then you had, you know, uh, you know, folks like uh, Lincoln and to a lesser extent Johnson who were like, yeah, we can get this all reconciled. We're going to try to get back to healing, man. It's, and if no one gets all their rights, then that's not a problem. Then you have the radical Republicans who are very much more like, no, we actually need to solve the problem. Uh, and so, uh, you know, Johnson was uh, president for a few years, uh, you know, Andrew Johnson specifically, because there is a Lyndon Johnson, he was next century. Uh, and he was replaced by uh, Ulysses S. Grant. Uh, what, what else is Grant known for, Gapwin? Drinking a lot. Okay, the, the other other thing. Uh, leading the Union Army in the Civil War. Yeah, so mm -hmm. so maybe he had a little bit of a, a, a personal motivation to be like, no, we need to make sure this crap doesn't happen again. Uh, and so he... 
you know, uh, uh, picked up a lot of the methods and ideas of the radical Republicans and started pushing them forward. Uh, you know, stationed troops in the South had them basically hunt down the Ku Klux Klan. And it's like, yeah, you're not going to be doing this pil- uh, paramilitary stuff anymore. And no more massacres. We're, we're going to be done with that. And we're going to make sure it's all 100% done. Uh, and so, you know, he was president for a while. And then you have the election of 1876. So uh, speaking of horrible compromises, uh, guess what happened there? Oh, I don't remember that one. <laughs> all right. So, so it was, uh, uh, you know, t- I think Tilden versus Rutherford B. B. Hayes, if I recall correctly. And uh, so, uh, you know, Hayes was the Republican candidate. Uh, and, you know, he was not you know, really of the uh, radical Republican sort of uh, style. He was it's more of a, you know, uh, I guess you could call them more liberal Republicans from the North. And uh, Tilden, well, he, you know, Democrat from the South. Uh, this is the you know, 19th century. So, you know, you know, generally Democrats from the South were, well, the ones that had been running the Confederacy. And so you get this sort of, very close election where these amazing things like in South Carolina, 101% voter turnout somehow. And so a lot of people were like, I think there is maybe some voter fraud here. And there's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense. And so there was different slates of electors that, uh, you know, had cast their vote for president for, you know, the, the presidential election. And when they got to, you know, when they were kind of on their way to Congress, it's like, okay, so who actually counts these votes? Because there are some states that have multiple different votes slates coming in. We should maybe figure out what's going on here. And uh, and so they they did. They, they came with the, the compromise of, uh, you know, uh, how was it? You know, 1876, I believe. Uh, or 77? I forget. Um, it's one of those years where it's like, okay, so we'll let Rutherford B. Hayes actually get elected. But we have to bring Reconstruction to a close. And so the Reconstruction period where they're very actively trying to prevent the restoration of basically Confederate rule in the South came to a kind of quick end. And so within a few decades, you had the rise of Jim Crow laws all across the South. And, you know, the the numbers of, uh, you know, uh, African-American legislators and Congress people from the South basically evaporated as suddenly the controls that had been put put in place to, you know, to, you know, ensure their enfranchisement just kind of fell apart and weren't there to protect them anymore. And massive corruption from the, uh, the folks uh, running the States and suddenly it's one party state all across the South. And well, the people that had been slave before are now completely out of power and they'll be lucky if they can even vote. So yeah, I kind of, kind of don't like that. that that's it. And ending there. Well, something that you that we kind of forget was, re, yeah, Reconstruction went for a while, suddenly got ended, and was a lot of it was reversed and undone. But even during something more recent, like something that would have been fairly fresh when this episode was around, having to do with civil rights eras, um, there were, like, even in that era and going up to it, there were actual, like, political coups and assassinations like there were plenty of African Americans who were holding office in the years after the Civil War. Like they mm-hmm. they were in state governments. Some of them were elected to like were going to be elected to like the federal like Senate and things. And yeah. many of them were actively assassinated. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were 
full-on coups where a white nationalist government was installed in various states. So this is a part of history that we kind of ignore. We're like, yeah. this is just, you know, like some like progress is just always slow and we always have to compromise and that's why it takes a long time and we should all be happy with this but it doesn't it wasn't slow it was undone and ignored mm -hmm. so you know all this certain you know, as i mentioned earlier uh, you know this sort of it's like oh slavery's over and so magically all our problems are over with no that's not how this thing works because we have a very real world situation united states where yeah, even with you know some folks pushing hard to you know, basically make sure the the changes stick, there it could be you know easily undone, you know because it's like oh yeah I I want to be president more than I want to keep these reforms in and these these safeguards, yeah. And you know, something that's always bugged me in the way that we talk about uh, you know. Uh, cultural advancement and especially especially civil rights in particular we always share these stories of like the you know all of the nonviolent protests and all of the police violence and all of the people who you know did w did do protests or led some of these actions and were assassinated or killed or you know all the various horrible horrible things that happened to all civil rights leaders, but also a lot of people who were just there. Mm -hmm. And we talk about it like it's the normal consequence and kind of just the price for improving your situation as well. Of course, you're going to have to, you know, do this and get killed and whatever. And that's just how things advance it sucks but it's normal in the way things are suffering is the only way to change yeah like this suffering a lot of the suffering and killing stuff was completely unnecessary the people in charge were ignoring that it was happening and not executing mm -hmm. the amount of power they had that would allow them to stop it like there there was just a lot of unnecessary suffering and death yeah that's not to like diminish the amount of stuff that was done there was a massive amount of courage shown by the people who spearheaded civil rights and got all of those reforms and the amount of progress that they did make like this isn't to say anything against that or belittle their accomplishment in any way but the suffering and death that was seen as a natural consequence of that was unnecessary it was something that was foisted upon them by external forces that were not even particularly mainstream. They were just more acceptable to the mainstream. The, the sacred sacrifice for the, you know, the good cause and never question that there are people forcing this sacrifice on people. Mm -hmm. You know, they're the, they're the group over here and we, we can't upset them. All right. So do you want to end on something less depressing before we move to our... Game shows. Okay, I do want to say one more time: screw you, Rutherford B. Hayes. You're 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 like the the, the third worst person I can think of right now. <laughs> <But> go ahead. <laughs> All right, I just wanted to very briefly touch on, which we kind of already have the the way that they thought that the bilateral coloration was so strange and could never occur. And oh my God, we do have <laughs> an example of this that happens in nature on Earth now. Surprise! So, um, yeah, McCoy's full of crap. <laughs> There are some animals that like just have this as a somewhat natural coloration. It's not usually that stark, but something that happens all the time, especially in insects and birds, but sometimes in other animals, 
is something called bilateral uh, gynomorphy. Gynomorphic? Yes. Gyno. That's a bilateral gynandromorph. Is trying to look it up here. <laughs> so, <laughs> don't worry about spelling. I'll, I'll worry about it. <laughs> Basically, it is an animal that is bifurcated down the middle, and one half of the animal is male and the other half is female. Neat. And it's pretty easy to see in things like insects and birds because they have very strong sexual dimorphism, mm -hmm. which is to say that the sexes look very, very different from one another. So you get, you know, like, you know, uh, like a, a cardinal, like, you know, one side will be very red and the other will be a bit more dull. Yes. Sort of situation there. That's a pretty common one or a butterfly where one, they have one huge colorful male wing and one slightly smaller a less colorful female wing. It must be a little hard to fly with. One would imagine. And this happens all the time. So when they showed up and they said, like, there's no way this could happen. It's like, well, we don't know. We don't know what the males and females on this planet look like. Maybe they all look like this because they, you know, are just all, all like, they stopped being a multi-gendered species or a multi-sexed species and they all just are bilateral gynandromorphs and that's how they breed. Which, you know, I guess... You know, maybe the, uh, you know, the, the black and the white side is more, you know, has a, uh, you know, sexual connotation for, uh, you know, why Bale's so disgusted. It's like, I was told from the very beginning that this is the only way to have your sex organs arranged and anything else is forbidden. And even if it's just personal preference here, and thus I have to turn that into a whole thing. And then everybody else just time to do the same thing. That kind of suck. So anyway, I just thought that was interesting. And you can awesome. kind of sound out Gyandromorph if you want to see pictures of this. Gyandromorph. When I was trying to look it up, I just kept on coming up with hypergeometric series, but you know, it's a little different. <laughs> that happens in nature a lot. You can find this. If you search for bird that's half male and half female, you also get a lot of pictures of it. So it's just kind of interesting. Very cool. Very cool. The more you know. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> All right, so we've had enough depressing junk for this hour. So I think now it's time for the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show! Hey everybody, welcome to the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show, where our various contestants have been competing uh, for a, a very long and drawn-out uh, sort of adventure here. Um, are we, do, we, do we need any more filler, Gepwin, or are we good? I think we're good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> our first prize is the Tragedy of Errors prize, which goes to the people of Sharon who were just too racist to keep themselves from uh, self-destructing. What do they win, Gepwin? They win the Break the Chains. A lot of broken chains because like well i don't want to speak for everyone i imagine that the revolution was kind of like it's better if we die than live as oppressed slaves for thousands and thousands of years so in one way the revolution kind of won it's like we've been liberated just maybe not in the way we wanted to but we are liberated but that's kind of the revolution idea isn't it like it's better to risk all dying than to live like this indeed but I guess they just weren't given a, a choice there. Hmm. That kind of sucks. Um, well, let's go to the next award before we get more depressed here. Are we the guest stars? That prize is going to cr the crew of the Enterprise for really not having much agency in this episode at all. What? Things just sort of happened. What do they win, Gepwin? 
I think Kirk and the gang get to win some more awkward and possibly revealing costumes. Kirk would like that. So that's what the guest stars wear, right? We need to give them like half a dress. Indeed. Oh, today's uh, guest stars were just wearing really tight clothing. That was kind of revealing. Awkwardly tight. Yeah. Let's get Kirk in a dress and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Spock and uh, have like this, you know, uh, open chest sort of vest thing going on. I think that'd be pretty cool. Our third and final award for today is the Power Creep Prize, which goes to Lokai and Beale for steadily having more superpowers that the longer they're in the episode, they just seem, seem to come out of nowhere. Why do they win, Gepwin? They win an account on one of those online RPGs, creative writing things that was popular when I was a teenager. It's like, you know, my character could totally win in a fight, but if you pull out a power, then this is why I could win. But I see why you could win, but I could definitely win. Yeah, those often had a, a, a really long drawn out death spiral because of that problem. I may have experienced one of them myself. This is why D&D has dice. Yes, <laughs> and some sort of moderating influence so that things just don't get too uh, bizarre with the bang-bang-you're-dead nonsense. Hmm. So, uh, that's all I got for prizes, Gepwin. Uh, go ahead and take us away. All right, thank you for all of our guest stars. Oh, they're all dead because they're racist. Whoops. And thank you for joining us on the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show! Before we get to the next, uh, you, know, you know, time here uh, stuff, uh, I have two things that are on my mind right now. Yes. So first off, the the, the outcome of the the, the citizens of Sharon uh, coming you know, you know, to an ultimate end in their in their struggle against each other reminds me of that Wax World episode of Red Dwarf. Huh. I know you've mentioned this one before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the obvious evil people versus like the, the the obvious good guys except the problem there was more just one of incompetent leadership <laughs> the other thing that was stuck in my mind uh, today is that from the previous episode uh, whom gods destroy obviously the entire time time garth is clearly naked true he's just transforming himself into have different clothes yeah that's pretty lewd that's all I had. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the next episode is another one that I hadn't heard of called Mark of Gideon. Hmm, yes. I think I've seen like a few minutes of this. Yeah, you uh, you will recognize the costumes like from the from the screenshots. You'll be able to, they, they like there's some iconic blue costumes and there's a bald guy with a mustache who like apparently died recently unfortunately but went on to play kind of an like i think an admiral in next gen for one episode and a couple of other bit roles on later star trek series huh. uh, so the basic gist of this one as i understand is there's a planet that they are trying to interview for federation membership they agree that kirk can beam down and he beams down and instead everyone on the enterprise disappears and he's the only one left on the ship except for a beautiful woman obviously Wait a moment, is this another mere universe sort of thing? It might be. It's a bottle episode. It's one of these, we've, it's just Kirk <laughs> alone on the ship with some lady, which is like, the. it's it's either like the most boring, it's probably alternating between the most boring episode ever and the most cringy episode ever. I guess we'll uh, we'll, we'll get into the details here. I, I don't want to spoil too much on here, but there there is some sort of evil plan afoot. And it's kind of terrible, but not... Well, it is terrible in the very, like, this is bad, but also terrible as in, 
This is kind of dumb. Yeah, I'm trying not to give too much away, but I do know the whole plot of this one. And oh my god, if you thought we got into some crummy politics with this one. Oh man, I'm I'm not looking forward to this. Yeah, (laughs) but if that's something that we have to worry about and you don't have to think about till next week on Watches of Tomorrow. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, the worst, most convoluted plan yet. You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs>